Welcome to Clean Tech Talk with Important Media, where we discuss the latest news in clean cars, clean energy, and clean technology. I'm Chris DeMauro, editor of Gas2.org. And I'm Zachary Shahan, director of cleantechnica.com and evobsession.com. Today we're talking about the BMW i5, which we don't know a lot about, but looks pretty good, and whether or not it's an actual competitor to Tesla Model S. Volvo's XC90 PHEV sales, the Cadillac CT6 plug-in hybrid, and a story about how Musk almost sold Tesla to Google for a cool $11 billion. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of news, a lot of interesting news this week. And, you know, one of the stories that came out uh, last week was about, uh, the, you know, a report on the BMW i5, which is quote-unquote, you know, uh, BMW's chance to take on the Tesla Model S. And what it's supposedly going to be, according to this latest rumor, is a plug-in hybrid with about 80 miles of electric driving range, uh, 640-ish horsepower, and a price tag around $100,000. Now, tell me, you know, that kind of sounds kind of like a Tesla competitor to me, but some people don't seem to think so because it's a hybrid and not a pure electric car. What do you think, Zach? Well, it's been fun. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the original article you wrote was on Clean Technica, I think, and our, our readers there. Uh, it wasn't like very controversial, but some of them hit back and said, you know, this is not a Tesla competitor because it's a plug-in hybrid, and it's just not going to match what a Tesla Model S is in 2017, 2018. I think there are a couple ways to see it, and you can make the arguments both ways. I mean, one way is, is it really going to be a threat to the Model S? I don't think so. You know, I don't. I don't think you would. You would say it's going to really threaten Model S sales either. But but you can chime in. But uh, on the other hand, it's in the same price segment, and you know, people looking for a hot new um, car in this price segment. Yeah, they're gonna. You know, some of them are gonna look at both of them. Some of them are not tied to pure electrics. You know, a lot of Model S buyers now are not. They're not those early adopters from a couple of years ago. These people just, they like nice cars. They have the money for them. And they like to, you know, they, they're they trying out something different. And they like cool stuff. When you boil it all down, we like cars because we like cool stuff. There's something really cool about the Tesla Model S. And it's not just because it's an electric car. The Nissan Leaf is an electric car. And it's kind of cool. But, you know what I mean? The Model S is way cooler. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to ultimately look at this like. There are always going to be those fanboys, those uh, early adopters, those people who are going to get on board because they said they're going to get on board. You know, people bought the Coda. I, I don't know why people bought the Coda, but they did. You know, not a lot of people did, and now Coda's not around anymore. But with, the, you know, with the Tesla Model S, you know, people are going to be aiming for it, but that doesn't mean it has to be a pure electric car. Anybody with the money to be shopping for a 75000 plus, you know, vehicle is going to compare whatever they can compare. And if, BM, you know, if the BMW i5 comes out and it's anything like these rumors, it's going to be a cool car. And it's going to be fresh and new and exciting. And by then, the Model S will be, you know, four or five years old. It'll, you know, even if they have bring out some new features and stuff, it'll still be the Model S, you know. So yeah. I think ultimately at the end of the day, that's how you have to look at it. You have to take a step back and be like, it's in the price range. It's going to be fast, exciting, fun. It's a competitor. 
yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think it would, I, I think, you know, the large majority of people, when you end up comparing them in a few years, they're going to say the Tesla Model S, whatever is, is better, I think. But, uh, but the thing is, yeah, these people buying these, this price cars, they want something new. They want something different. I mean, I, I follow the Tesla Motors Club forum real closely and a lot of people on there now, they just, they go from one hot, expensive car to another. And they, some of them are already getting bored of the <laughs> Model S because they just want something different and cool and new and, and fun. And, uh, you know, so there's going to be people who are going to see this and want to try it out. Of course, it's going to find buyers, you know, uh, even the, the Cadillac ELR found, is finding buyers. Um, it's going to have different pluses and minuses. And uh, the interesting thing to me is how big these automakers are going in the plug-in hybrid space. Uh, and, and we can get into that more with this next story. Yeah, the uh, Volvo XC90. And, you know, this is this is a big car in every sense of the word. But I think automakers are finally understanding that, you know, they should be working from the top down with plug-in hybrids and plug-in cars and electric cars and all that. You know, it's trying to make a mass market electric car right off the bat. Maybe that's not the best idea. But people with money... They're really into this stuff, and Volvo's showing that, you know, the XC90, the plug-in hybrid version, they expected about 5% of buyers or so to want one. About 20% of the people buying the XC90, like, SUV are opting for the plug-in hybrid version, which is which retails for around, like, $70,000. It's, it's a good chunk of change more expensive than just getting the regular four-cylinder one, and you know, I think that's proven that, you know, plug-in stuff is cool. It's here. It's in vogue and people want it. Yeah. I mean, Nick Connor, UK's managing director of Volvo, in, in the quote in your article said, you know, our current rate on sold orders is over 20%. We underestimated it. They were planning for 3 to 5% on this model. So it's, I mean, just reiterate those those really interesting statistics. I mean, I there's there are a few things here. I mean, I hate to be cynical, but I mean, you can't deny Automakers put a lot of money into ICE vehicles. They put a lot of R&D into factories, into everything. This is where their investment is. They, you know, if they just dropped that and went full scale or went fast into electric vehicles, they're, they're really cutting their legs off in a way. So they, they're not that incentivized to lead in this market. So I think that's one thing is that, you know, that they, they're really hesitant even when they do well with a product to, to do that you know and another thing that they seem to consistently underestimate how 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 much buyers like these vehicles uh, and I don't, I don't know where that comes from but but they consistently don't realize these are freaking fun to drive and how can you not realize that i don't i don't know that's why i get cynical partly well you know i think in fair in fairness you have to remember you know wasn't that long ago that nissan and Tesla and Fisker, you know, we're all promising that, hey, we're going to sell all these cars. You know, I think, you know, Nissan was selling, you know, they expect to be selling 50,000 Leafs a year, three or four years in. And they just, they didn't even come close to that. They, they just sold 30,000 last year. And that's good. That's a good number. But, you know, you have to remember, automakers are conservative. It's a conservative right. industry. I'm not talking politically. I'm talking just like you said, they've invested so much into combustion technology that they're not in a rush to ditch it all of a sudden. They've spent 100 years 
perfecting this stuff. We've now got four-cylinder engines with the performance of V8 engines from just a decade ago. That's that's really cool. That's really amazing. You know, credit where credit is due. But, you know, I, I think they're just, they're hesitant, and they understandably so. But if... If there are more success stories like the XC90, where they have four times as many orders for the plug-in version as they expected, that's that's how automakers get convinced that wow, maybe really really should be investing more and more into this. Yeah, and you brought up the Mitsubishi um, Outlander plug-in hybrid uh, in your article, and. Uh, that's a really good one to bring in too because that vehicle has sold really well in Europe, especially in the Netherlands. Uh, it's been like off the, really, really a top model, uh, and Japan. And uh, Mitsubishi is going, I mean, it's it's a smaller auto company, obviously, uh, but it's putting more of its weight behind uh, this segment now because of that. And it, it really ramped up sales of, you know, production and sales of that vehicle when it saw demand was high. So there's obviously this. Uh, you know, plug-in SUV segment that looks to have a lot of potential buyers. But going back to what you're saying, you know, one of my favorite videos I ever watched was a long presentation and then question and answer uh, by Mark Tarpening, which is who's one of the co-founders of Tesla uh, and the neighbor of Ian Wright, who we who we interviewed recently, and he. He said at the end in a question and answer segment, I think it was, um, that when they were pitching investors on Tesla, they were telling them how, how conservative and slow moving the conventional auto, you know, big automakers are and how that they just, you know, electric vehicles are the future, but they're just too slow to move into it. And he said at the end uh, that after leaving Tesla, you know, moving on to his next thing, he was consulting a bit for the big automakers and he realized then that every, that it was actually much worse than he had. <laughs> and then they would thought, then they were telling people. So, I mean, they were trying to sell Tesla and they were underselling even how, how conservative and how slow moving this industry is. So, you know, it's, it takes time. And on one hand, that's really smart, right? You don't want a car that's going to, you know, be in a hundred thousand households and then have a major failure. Right. Yeah, but you know that's the thing. They're making money with the cars they're selling now. Why are they going to be in a rush? That right. said, they can make even more when they have put a plug into it, and that's what Cadillac's doing with the all-new CT6 plug-in hybrid. It's keeping with our luxury car theme this morning. Um, so this 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 car that debuted in Shanghai, uh, it's it's the latest version of the CT6, which is brings a new naming nomenclature to the Cadillac brand, and it's, it's going to give us a new plug-in vehicle in addition to the ELR. So what this plug-in hybrid does, and it's going to offer 335 horsepower, 400 plus foot-pounds of torque, and a 37-mile EV range, which, you know, you look at all that, that's pretty good. Um, it's, it's, it's a step in the right direction for Cadillac, which is really, you know, it, they really fell flat with the ELR on, on their first go around, but I think now they're really trying to take it seriously. Yeah, well, you know, the ELR has gotten praise from the people who, who like it, who, who get it. It's, I mean, the problem has always been the, the cost. You know, if, if you're going to pay that much, you can get a Tesla with much better performance. The ELR has better luxury inside, but, you know, performance is what seems to excite people more, right? Right. Uh, the Cadillac CT6... I mean, 
this is, I mean, the, the ELR is pretty stunning in its own respect, if, if you like that style, right? Um, the CT6 looks really like, I mean, I, I'm, I keep looking at it and thinking this is going to do really well in China because it's like, it's, it, it like, it, it practically uh, resonates like royalty or something, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good looking car. And, um, you know, technically speaking, it has the same size battery pack, 18.4 kilowatt hours as the Volt, but Cadillac's insistent that it doesn't share a lot of the same technology as the Volt. They've really, where the ELR and the Volt were like, you know, look at these two cars side by side. They're pretty much, you can't tell the difference, you know, technology wise. This, they're making clear, this is a very different drive train. You have, you know, it still has two electric motors like the Volt, but uh, they're at the rear wheels and they can handle speeds of up to 75 miles an hour before a two liter gas engine kicks in and can also drive. I believe the front wheels. I believe it's all wheel drive. And I mean, there are two things that come out for me with this with this movie. One, uh, I read an, I read an article recently about you know really delving into how serious is GM about electrification. And one point one point there was that they from you know talking with the top the top person of their electric electrification unit, um, they do have an electrification plan. I mean, this they have a big broad plan behind these. It's not just like, oh, let's roll out this vehicle now in response to this or whatever. I think they are really serious about going in that direction. And this is another another sign that that really is the case. You know, they they've announced the Volt this year. They've announced the, the next generation Volt. Both look really good. Now they've announced this. Uh, I think GM is is pretty serious about this. You know, like like we said, it's a conservative large automaker, but it's pretty serious. And the other thing is this: what you said earlier. You know, the luxury. You know, going from the top down. We get we get a bit of criticism sometimes from readers who would prefer that you know they go straight to the mass market. But I think you got to start with the vehicles of desire, and you got to get people interested in the technology because of hot, expensive cars that most people will never touch but they will know a lot about <laughs> and, and you know i think we have you have to just i think the best comparison for electric cars today is there where cell phones were in like 1995 okay. okay they are expensive they're big they're heavy but they're getting there you know the only people that had cell phones in 1995 were really important business people you know what i mean everybody else had a beeper if they were lucky yeah. uh, <laughs> you know what i mean so you just it, it takes time and it works that kind of stuff works from the top down you know gps it's the same thing the only people who had gps in their cars were wealthy people but now everybody has it on their freaking phone it's, it's everywhere now so and it's the democratization of technology yeah any serious technology entrepreneur should know this you know that you have to start i mean i mean it's very clear tesla's you know they've spoken about it many times about how they started with those high-end vehicles because they had to. That was like the only real option, uh, both financial-wise and in order to make a market. And uh, it's nice to see that either other automakers are getting this or they just are following Tesla's lead. But but it's the way to go, I think. So I'm happy to see these these high-end models, even if you know it's not they're not going to reach the masses, whatever. And, and uh, I think that's a good that's a good segue, I think, into our last story. Actually, is you know. Just, you know, that Elon Musk almost sold Tesla to Google for $11 billion because at the time, the automaker, he was struggling. When when Tesla started out, turns out it wasn't, you know, all uh, uh, candy and kisses. 
Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who's watched the this, there's a bio on Elon Musk from Bloomberg Business, I think, about an hour, 45 minutes long, published on Clean Technica recently. Uh, there, there are a couple times when Tesla almost went under, like it was like the 11th hour save. Uh, always, you know, generally always by Elon Musk or to a large extent by Musk, you know, either putting in $40 million or, uh, you know, rallying the, the troops. Now, this story, it's gotten a lot of criticism because the author sort of weaves together different different truths, embellishes them. The timeline gets a bit mishmashed, from what I understand. But but definitely there was a time, it seems, when when Elon was really thinking of the backup plan of Google buying Tesla, and uh, so I think some of the most interesting things are the, the demands. He was he was very demanding. Yeah, he really he really did not want to. You know, he was ready to sell his baby, but he was not going to just walk away. No, I no, mean, he, I mean, and yeah. It, so it, on the one hand, it gives you the, the signal that maybe this it wasn't like a dire situation like the author makes it out to be. Maybe it was just an, you know a backup plan, an idea in case needed. So the, the specifics of the plan, as the author laid them out, was uh, Musk talked to Google. He was going to sell Tesla for, I think, $6 billion in cash and then get them to agree to invest another $5 billion into the infrastructure, into the vehicle, into making it, uh, making Tesla work. And then furthermore, Google would have to keep Musk on as CEO until the Model 3 launched or for eight years or whatever came first. Like... He was so he was you know he was really trying to make Tesla a thing, yeah. but um, it turns out you know I guess what was happening was the a lot of the pre-orders for the Model S weren't turning into sales, so he had to hustle. He told his people, he got everybody on the phone. He's like, you, you all these people that pre-ordered this car that put five thousand dollars on this car and aren't haven't picked it up yet, like sell the car, like get them to put that rest of the money down, and apparently that worked. Yeah, you know, well, they they turned a corner. The thing I was going to say earlier, the, the, one of the things I think that's really interesting here is that, I mean, from the beginning, if you go way back on Tesla's blog and you look at their plan, uh, it's the same story. It's consistently the same story. So people who think the story has changed or that, you know, blah, 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 it's just been the same story for years. They wanted to build the Roadster, build the Model S, use those and, and the Model X now to, to get to the mass production Model 3. That was his big goal, to get to the mass production Model 3, and that he couldn't just start with it. And, I mean, you can see that clearly here. Like, the, all of his requirements are basically to make sure that he can, you know, build the Model 3. So, it's it's you know, I think it's good to see for anyone who's concerned about Tesla's commitment to that or Tesla's, you know... Uh, you know, uh, what do you say, uh, Tesla's willpower to do that. I mean, that is the goal, right? So that's exciting. I think, I think if anybody still doubts Musk's commitment to electric cars, they really need to have their heads. <laughs> this isn't just about making money for the guy. I mean, he turned down a $6 billion cash out. You know what I mean? That was, that could have been the safest play of all time. Here's $6 billion, and you still get to run your company. Like. Yeah, well, who would who would walk away from that? The dude is not doing this stuff for money. I mean, he put his money on the line when it, the a, a few times when it was basically like do or die. And I mean, he he all he he risked. I mean, you can see him talking about it in this bio how emotional it was that he basically put everything he had earned from Zip2 from PayPal on the line to save Tesla. And 
I think man. It's, 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 it's like, it's, it's like a fairy tale, but you can't, I mean, the more you dig in, the more it's like that. But, um, you know, it's wonderful. We'll see how it goes. You know, it, there's still a lot to get to the model three, but it, but it's looking, looking quite promising. I, I think, I think uh, as far as electric cars go, there's no turning back now. I, and I think Musk is a huge, I, he didn't do it alone, but I think he's a huge part of that. And, and you know, it's because of this determination he showed. Yeah, I mean, he said from a physics standpoint, which is what he he bases a lot of, he tries to base everything off of, he can off of physics basic principles. Uh, from a physics standpoint, you know, it's like inevitable that eventually it would be electric vehicles. He was just trying to speed up the transition. And I, th I mean, there's no denying that he's done that and he's yeah. done a good job of it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, in some in some cases, it's just, sort of pure luck that gets you through or or just you know that extra little push like they gave to to nail down those those reservations those sales i, I think i think that's a good place to end our uh, podcast today zach check in next week and we'll give you some more electric vehicle love thanks for joining us i'm chris tomorrow and i'm zachary shahan 